0: Thank you again, Melissa, for that beautiful testimony, the story of God working in your life. It's amazing. Um, scripture says in Revelation that we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Our stories, as God works in and through them, have power to overcome. And that's why we share stories. And that's why I was so excited to hear we get to share those, these stories uh, on Sunday mornings. Um, and just be reminded that church is, church is family. And uh, it's good to hear the stories of folks and see what God is doing in the midst. I so just, just woke up this morning filled with just joy. Like when you get to be with people you love, when you get to be with family, not this anticipation of anything that's in the in the song or the message or the, the building, it's just being with God's family together. I just had such a joy of being able to gather with you guys. As we begin today. So, we're starting, as, as Hannah was saying, this Lent series in uh, the book of John, the Gospel of John. And I want to start with a big question. And this big question is something I hope that we can answer throughout this series. And this question is, What is God like? I don't know if you've ever asked that question, if you just kind of had this surface level belief in God. Like, yeah, I believe in God, I believe what the Bible says. But have you ever kind of stopped and asked, Okay, what is the God I believe in? What is he actually like? What is his character and purpose? Not beyond just a doctrinal understanding, beyond what we're supposed to believe, the, the ifs and the ands and the buts and all those things, but, but the whole other thing we are talking about today is, is this belief in God giving us clarity to his character and purpose? Do we know what he is like? That's a huge question. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite theologians, he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Why is it the most important thing about us? It's the most important thing about us because the way we see God will determine how we live our lives. The way that we picture God, the way that we see him is a direct A a determiner of the way that we live with one another. For for instance, if God is distant, you will live as if God is distant. You will live in response to that. If you believe he's absent or passive in your life, you'll live accordingly. If you believe he's angry or vindictive, you will hold God at a distance. We live as if our belief about God is true. So it's good that we believe in him, but it's even more important to understand what the God we believe in is actually like in his character, in his purpose among us, because that will determine for us how we live. And there's no book in the Bible that is more intentional about the way that it communicates God's identity than the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John traditionally was written somewhere between about 80 and 110 A.D. Usually they think no later than 110 A.D., so very, very within the lifetime of the disciples. Um, It's written uh, traditionally by the disciple John, one of Jesus' best friends. And, and it's written differently than the other three Gospels we have in the Scriptures. The other three Gospels are, are seem to be uh, in, in ten, intentional about the way that they tell uh, more of a journalistic understanding of Jesus' life, like lots of details, lots of things, but John is a little different. John focuses in on a few stories and wants to make sure that these stories give you the most clear and beautiful picture of what God is actually like in Jesus. So as we begin the Lent series moving towards Easter, these next few weeks of moving towards that is is an example for us as we look in the Gospel of John of learning to believe in this God and what he is actually like. And even though today we begin this series in John, what we need to do is start way, way before that. We need to go back in our story. And I know this past series we did on rest, it was, it was awesome and it was a little more topical. But today's going to be a little different. There's a lot of work we got to do throughout the entire Bible. So I need you to turn to every single page and I'm talking about here, and you don't bring physical Bibles. You just look on your phones now. I'm just kidding. But this is a big, there's a lot of stuff happening right now. So, so stay with me. We're going to go cover a lot of ground. We're looking at the, the life of Moses. And Moses, it, we meet him in the beginning of Exodus, the second book of the Bible. And, and this is a turning point for how we understand God in the scriptures. You see, up to this point, we don't have much detail as to what God is like throughout the first book in Genesis. We, we understand what he's like by the way he interacts with people, but he's not really self-revealed himself after Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Genesis 1 and 2, we see Adam and Eve, and they're walking in the garden with God in the cool of the day. They have this face-to-face relationship. They know their creator intimately, And purposefully, but as we know, sin enters the picture, and after that, the way that human beings interacted and saw God was distorted. It's as if there is a mirror that we see ourselves, and suddenly this mirror has been broken, and we cannot see clearly as to what he is like. And so the rest of Genesis, when we see God interact with with human beings, it's mostly through these these angelic servants and these representatives, these angels who are speaking on his behalf. We see this in the life of Abraham with angels and in the life of Jacob who wrestles with an angel. So, So we see God moving and speaking but he's doing it through representation. And so primarily in that part, when you're speaking about God, there's a word that's used a lot called Elohim. That is the, in Hebrew the word for, for God, but it's, it's less a, a name and more a title. Elohim is, is speaking of a supreme spiritual being. It's a, it's a class of spiritual being and, and God being the highest Elohim. And so this is what we know of God heading into Exodus, the second book, when we meet Moses. And so Moses in Exodus 3, at this point, he is in exile. He's been cast out of Egypt for killing one of the the Egyptians, and he's a servant in exile. He's he's shepherding these these sheep, and all of a sudden, looking up, and many of you have probably heard this story, looking up into the mountain as he is shepherding, he sees this bush that is burning, but this bush is not being consumed, the burning bush, as we have seen. So we're going to look at this this story really quick in verse 4 of Exodus chapter 3. Look with me on the screen here. It says, When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said, Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Suddenly the God that that Moses had heard about, the God of his people, of his ancestors, the God that he had only spoken of before, now was present and was speaking his name. And this God is unapproachably holy, set apart. And what rose up in Moses in this moment is completely appropriate, which is this holy, reverent, humbling fear. And when we talk about fear in the scriptures of fearing God, it's not that we are afraid God is against us or is going to hurt us. The holy reverent fear we see of in the scriptures that Moses is putting on display here is when you are in the presence of greatness, when you are in the presence of something far more big and powerful than you are, you have a healthy, reverent fear. This is bigger than me. And what does God tell Moses to do? He tells him to head to Egypt and demand freedom for God's people in slavery, which is no small task. And Moses is very reluctant. He he tries to push God's call on his life away, but God is persistent in this. In verse 13, it picks up. It says, then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? And God replies to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I am who I am. That's not just a phrase. God literally just gave Moses his personal name. The name in Hebrew is Yahweh. You, maybe you've heard that before. In Hebrew, Yahweh means I am who I am or I will be who I will be. From now on in the story, God is not this impersonal Elohim. God has a name that we are to know and to use, and this name is Yahweh. It's a holy name. Jews to this day will not speak this name because it's so holy. Jews will not write this name because to them it's so holy. They write out the consonants without the vowels because to do so otherwise would be in reverent fear an opportunity to misrepresent the holiness of his name. And think about what a powerful name. I am who I am. What does that say about God? Just think about this, friends. I am who I am. It tells us that, that God is God. He's always been God. He always will be God, and he will always be the God that he is. He is not a God that we spoke into existence. He is not a God that has evolved as we have to understand who he is. I am who I am means I always have been who I always have been, and I always will be who I always will be. And pardon my double negative, but God has never not been God. And God has always been fully himself in power and glory. Isn't this amazing? God has never not been the fullness of who he is then and now. The same I am who I am is I am with you right now. That's huge, friends. That's huge. And so as Moses' story continues, he begins to know Yahweh more and more, even to the point in Exodus 33, verse 11, it says, The Lord would speak with Moses face to face. Just as a man speaks with his friend. What does that remind you of? It reminds you of Genesis 1 and 2, where God is walking in the garden in the cool of evening, face to face. The same God who created us still longs for intimacy, still longs for relationship, and he is finding it. Moses is finding it once again, but yet it's not. In its fullness, later on in Exodus 33, we see Moses come to God with a very big, profound question. It says "Then Moses said, Please, let me see your glory. He said, I will cause, this is God speaking, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim the name, the Lord, Yahweh, is what he is speaking there before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he added, you cannot see my face for humans cannot see me and live. The Lord said, here is a place near me You are to stand on the rock, and when the glory, my glory, passes by, I will put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you will see my back, but my face will not be seen. Moses is asking here, I want to see your glory, God. I don't just want part of you, I want the glory of of who you are. I don't know if you know about this word glory. In Hebrew, it's kavod, and it literally comes from the idea. It means weight and significance. In the, in the olden times, when you saw a king riding in a procession, he was covered in jewels, and the weight, literally the weight of his riches, the weight of his glory describes this word. And so when we speak of the glory of God, we are speaking of his weight his significance in our lives. And when we worship God, when we speak out worship and sing of his glory, we are saying, You hold more weight. You hold more significance than anything in my life, God. And Mo- Moses is saying, God, show me your glory. I don't just want an appetizer, you know? I don't just don't want that part. I want it all. And God says no. Because to see God's face, to see God in his fullness and holiness would literally kill Moses. To see Yahweh right there, it would undo him. It would undo who Moses completely was. God is too big and glorious to even be seen in this moment. But what he does, it goes light years ahead of Of all of the things that we've experienced, any human since the fall, this fleeting glimpse, Moses saw more than anybody at this point had ever seen in the story just by looking at God's back. Wow. And notice too, it says that not only will I pass by, but I'm going to speak my name. I want you to hear me speak out my name, Yahweh. I am who I am. And Moses is asking a question we should all be asking. God, I don't want just part of you. I want the fullness of you. I want to see the glory of God. I want to see you at all your weight and significance in my life. I don't want just the rumors. I don't want the appetizers. I want the fullness of you. I want to see who you are. I'm discontent with anything but all of you, God. And it's why in every culture, in every religion, there's this pursuit that there's something more. There's something, this sense of I'm getting something, but I'm not getting the fullness of what I can get. And maybe even some of them see, in part, and yet for some reason they just can't fully see the fullness. And that's what religion essentially is. Religion is striving on our own. Now, efforts to make the invisible God visible. It's trying on our own to say, God, through my work and through my religion and through my goodness, I'm going to try to project who you are onto the world The rest of the Old Testament reveals a little bit more of who Yahweh is. We see his power on display. We see his holiness, yet his steadfast love that he doesn't give up on his people, even though they give up on him over and over and over again. We see God's presence dwell in tabernacles. We see God's presence dwell in temples. And yet still in the tabernacle and in the temples, he was unapproachable in his holiness. He was present among us, but his presence was a presence that was completely unlike us. There was still a barrier there that even though that we knew what he was like, we couldn't cross that barrier. So then we get to Jesus. We get to the gospel of John where we're spending the next six weeks together. And remember how I said John is deeply intentional about helping us understand who God is. What we read earlier, what Becca was reading, is the first chapter, the first part of John 1, is John is introducing the story. And I want to go back and read this part in John 1 that we heard earlier. And I want you to hear it again in light of all of this backstory that we just went through and hear what John is saying, because it's amazing. Let's tie it all together. John 1, it says in verse 14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is in himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. Do you see the story coming together in its fullness right in front of our eyes? It's like that part in Harry Potter at the end when you see what Snape does. It's like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. It's like the end of Sixth Sense when you, oh, they're all dead. It's all coming together. The story is coming alive right in front of us because John is telling us that the holy God in all of his unseen power is no longer unseen because when you look at Jesus, you are looking at I am. Woo! (laughs) Dang, y'all. You're seeing God's face. Remember how Moses couldn't look and see God's face because he would surely die when Jesus arises, We are looking at the fullness of God face-to-face face in Jesus. Yahweh has taken on human flesh and all of His fullness, it says, dwells in Jesus. Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the, in, the invisible God made visible among us. Hebrews 1.3 says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory, again there, that glory, and the exact expression of His nature. Sustaining all things by, the, by his powerful word. Later on in John, while we're looking there later in chapter 8, when the Pharisees are challenging him on his Jewish credentials, credentials he says this to them Truly, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. Dang, y'all. <laughs> I mean, dang. It's like that part in, in Lion King where he says Mufasa, and all the hyenas are like, Woo, Mufasa. I am, this is happening right here in the scriptures. God has taken upon flesh. I am is here in Jesus. Friends, we can begin with this this question today, what is God like? And chances are you've probably carried some idea about who God is in here with you today. Maybe you thought God is angry at you. Maybe you thought God is disappointed because you've messed up. For better or for worse, you're living that out. And and the good news that John is telling us today, the good news that this whole series through the gospel is going to show us is the good news that Jesus is what God is like. That is good news. Brian Zond, he's a pastor, he says it this way, God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There's never been a time when God was not like Jesus We've not always known what God is like, but now we do. Do you want to know what God is like? You can look at Jesus Christ face to face and see him in his fullness. So what's this mean to us beyond just the theological nerding out right now? What does this mean to us? What it means to us is that this theological truth moves into a lived reality when we understand that God interacts with us the way that Jesus interacts with people in the Gospels. Look at the way Jesus treats people, and that's the way Jesus treats you, and that's good news. You know, I used to live with this vague sense that I knew God loves me, but you know, Generally, if I live the way I really believe that God was just a tinge disappointed at me at all times, right? That he's just a little bit upset about my shortcomings, that he's barely putting up with me like you, he loves me like your, your, your kind of cranky grandfather loves you. Like, <laughs> yeah, I love you. I put up with you. But the fullness of that love is not really there because there's still a distance because deep down you know that there's disappointment, that you've screwed up, that he's, he's holding you at arm's length. He loves you but not loves you enough to accept you and bring you back and change you. And so my spiritual journey living in that reality for many years was, was trying to get from mountaintop to mountaintop to get a view of God that was big enough to see him but knowing I would never get close enough jumping from mountain to mountain to mountain, trying to find some religious experience here or there or everywhere else that I could learn about God, that I could get this intellectual understanding of him, but I could still stay at a distance because I still believed at his heart he's disappointed in me, that I wasn't worthy. And if you've come in here today with that understanding of God, I have some some news for you. John has dropped a bombshell on that. He has blown up that idea today that there is no mountain that will take us to God, but that God in Jesus, God I am, Yahweh has come to us. God has met us in our humanity by becoming our humanity. He has met us in our brokenness with his broken body. He has dealt with our sin by becoming our sin on the cross. And in his holiness that is still present in Jesus, he's making us holy. It's been said that all religions lead to God. That's the general idea that's popular right now. And and I've said it before and I'll say it here again. None of them do, okay? Even the Christian ones. Because if you've got a Christian religion that says this road leads to God, you have a distorted understanding of the gospel. You see, the gospel is not that that we found our way to God by Christian principles. The gospel is that God found his way to us in Jesus Christ and met us where we are, and that's what Jesus wants to To tell us today, this is the great truth that we see in John. This is the great truth for you and for me. God always meets us where we are. God always meets us in reality. God won't meet you in that pretend world that you think you are in. God meets you where you really are. Even in your honesty, even in your I don't know if I believe, even in your I am so angry at you, that is exactly where God wants to meet you. The gospel shows us that Jesus is not waiting on you to get your act together, to get your questions answered before you come to him. He's saying, I'm right here already with you, and I want to meet you here, right in your failures. All of those things that we thought were hindrances to meeting God most of the time, friends, they're the doorways through which he actually wants to walk through. That's where he wants to go through Catholic theologian Dorothy Sayers, she says, the incarnation, speaking of Jesus becoming flesh, it means that for whatever reason God chose to let us fall into a condition of being limited, to suffer, to be subject to sorrows and death, he has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He himself has gone through the whole of human experiences from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born into poverty and suffering, infinite pain, all for us, and thought it well worth his while. If we learn anything about Jesus, it's that there is no hole too deep, there is no sin too great, no fear too paralyzing, no failure too big, that Jesus in both his divinity and holiness and in his nearness and love cannot meet us right there. Yahweh, I am your creator and sustainer is meeting you here. And when we look to Jesus, we can see The face of God. And this face is not growling at you, it's not frowning at you, it's smiling at you. With arms open wide, waiting to receive you where you are if you will have Him. So today, God, we we come to you. We come to you in this good news that you are not angry or distant. That you are not vindictive, that you are not passive and uncaring about our struggles, but that God, right here, right now, your desire is to meet us in Jesus Christ. So, my prayer for today, God, my prayer all week has been that we would lay down these faulty ideas of God, these broken experiences of the past. And that today we would take up this journey with Jesus, moving forward in faith, that he receives us in love right where we are. Lord, I pray for those of us who have never taken that first step, we've flirted with faith, we've thought about the ideas, or maybe it's always just been in our head been an intellectual exercise, and it's never made its way to our heart that today is the day that Jesus could not just have our thoughts and our ideas, but he could have our whole lives. Come, Lord, and move in our midst. Speak to us, do work in and among us, as I know you already are doing. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to receive communion in our time of response today literally a physical representation of the love that Jesus has for you. We, we eat bread and we take the Jews representing Jesus's body and his blood every week. You know why? Because it's not just a an idea. We taste and see a physical reminder that God is with us. So if you're a follower of Jesus today, come and receive communion. Uh, if you are here today and maybe you haven't Uh, You know made a decision to follow christ. Let this be the first decision to follow christ right here Come up and take and receive these elements today and then come pray with us Let us know how we can help you on that journey We're gonna have folks in the back that can pray for you. I'm gonna be right over here And as melissa was speaking earlier god is answering prayer among us in this church friends So don't be afraid to come boldly before the throne of grace We also have gluten-free communion. That's right over here at this table if you need that Um, We'd love to serve you in that way. So why don't we stand and let's receive together.